in song. Today, we conclude a three-part verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of Jude. If you make your way to the book of Jude, which I've titled Exegeting the Book of Jude, you'll uh, remember that to exegete is to extract from the soil of the text the precious gems God has provided for us. And many of you will remember that Jude is a companion book to 2 Peter in that both deal with defending the faith against heretics, against false doctrine, hence the image of the wolf in sheep's clothing. In fact, verse 3 seems to be the thematic verse uh, of the book of Jude that we would earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. On Sunday evening, November 13th, we had part one, and we studied verses 1 through 7. Then last Sunday morning was part 2. We studied verses 8 through 19. And if you missed either of these, please listen to the recorded messages at www.redbridgebaptist.org and you can catch up very quickly. Today, though, is part 3. And the first thing I'd like us to do is a very quick overview of the uh, uh, a re- review of the previous two messages and the first one we did an overview of the book of Jude with the author being Jude the half-brother of Jesus and the brother of James and James uh, I'm convinced as well as Peter and Paul had already died uh, at the time of the writing of the book of Jude. Uh, there's not anything said about the apostle John. We know he was living because he wrote the book of Revelation 25 years later, but he wasn't on the scene right then. And so Jude really was um, the go-to uh, th- theologian, if you will, church leader, uh, getting toward the end of the first century. And the Lord pointed out by virtue of saying he's the brother of James, giving him a little bit of clout there. The audience in verse 1 is and was those uh, believers in general, um, followers of the Lord. And then we looked at the, uh, started into the outline of the book of Jude and and did an exegesis along the way with the preamble in verses 1 and 2. And then the purpose, and every book has a purpose statement. In verse 3, the why the book was written, that is to stand for truth, and the what the book is about, and that is that there are heretics in the local church, is why Jude wrote, why the Spirit of God had Jude write this book. And then in verses 5 through 7, we looked at the past, that is, the apostasy of Israel departing from the faith, and the angels who were fallen because they went outside their jurisdiction. And I'm convinced those demons procreated with human or earthly women, and they had the hybrid race, if you will, all of whom were killed in the flood. But God assigned those demons because they went outside of their jurisdiction. He assigned them to bondage. That is, those demons are in captivity even right now. Whereas demons, Satan and demons, are very much alive and well on the earth. Satan's the prince of the power of the air, except for this group of demons who have been reserved in chains Uh, and will be for all eternity. And then we see uh, the third example 
of uh, rejecting the uh, known revealed will of God with moral impurity in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and you can learn more about that in lesson, uh, lesson one. And then in part two, we looked at the present, verses 8 through 19, the characteristics of heretics, and I listed six uh, of those characteristics from the text, the judgment of heretics, as well as the warning of heretics, which were present in the church at that time. Today, we come to part three, the last six verses, verses 20 through 25 in the book of Jude. And folks, they're refreshingly positive. <laughs> and this has been a breath of fresh air to me because having preached verse by verse through the book of Second Peter throughout the summer and now for the last two messages in the book of Jude as well as dealing with apologetics all year and, and defending the faith and the heretics and the apostates and all that. Today, closing out the book of Jude, it really is a fresh a breath, of, a breath of fresh air, as it were. Not that there's anything wrong. In fact, all of it's inspired text. But it is too good to be reminded of the goodness of God and the love that he has for his people, which is what this focus is today. So 2 Peter indicated that heresy was going to surface. Jude indicates that heresy did surface. It was, and it's only three or four years difference between the writing of those two books. Jude is saying it is here. Second Peter was preparing them for it. Jude is saying stay spiritually strong in the midst of it. Jude beginning in, there's only one chapter, beginning in verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fire, pulling them out, uh, uh, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. The fifth point in our outline, as we continue along in, in this same outline, is the passion. We see that in verses 20 through 23. God's people are to possess and to manifest passion for the Lord and compassion for others. We see that in verses 20 through 23. Now, folks, when I say God's people are to manifest passion, that does not mean you change your personality uh, and, and swing from a chandelier or throw hymn books like I do or, or anything of like that. Within your, the personality God gave you, within your frame of reference, however, whatever that will look like, and it'll be different for all of us, uh, you are to and I am to have a passionate walk with the Lord. In fact, Jesus taught about this. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, uh, and with all thy mind. And uh, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so these verses, 20 through 23, speak 
to the specific principles of having passion for God and compassion on others. The book of Jude concludes on a very high note, and there's no higher note than uh, 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 worshiping the Lord and witnessing to the lost. I mean, as far as my experience in life, I mean, how much better can I do? Uh, how much more in the will of God can I be than if I spend my days in worship of the Lord and in witness to the lost? Amen? And so Jude is bringing that out in these last verses. Verse 20 begins with this foundation. Notice, uh, but building up, that is, uh, he's, he's using the imagery of, of constructing or erecting a building. And I looked at, I looked at, uh, I didn't really get it. It says, but, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Uh, I I wasn't, it wasn't ringing well with me. I didn't have an aha moment until having looked at 38 English translations. Yes, I counted because I thought I'm just going to keep looking until I get an aha moment. And I finally ended up with one with Young's, of course, it would be the Y, uh, all the way down to the end of the alphabet, with Young's literal translation. It was the aha moment for me. And it says, and you, beloved, on your most holy faith, building yourselves up in the Holy Spirit, praying. And you see, the significance of that is, is that faith in the, in the grammar, in the Greek New Testament, it's in a particular case, and it speaks of personal possession. That is, it is your faith. It is the faith that you have received. You possess it. No, of course, you didn't generate it. Uh, uh, you didn't create it. But it's the one that you possess. You are a steward of the faith that God has given to you. So it is your faith, uh, and, and it's not the act upon be of, of believing. It, it is the faith revealed in the Word of God. It's the gospel truth, in other words. You were given the gospel, and you received it. It is that kind of faith you've received that message. And so it very much is yours. Uh, that is, it's not just an idea. It's not just a, a good philosophy of life. It's actually bedrock biblical truth. You heard it. And you said, yes, Lord, I'm going to believe that. And now it is yours. Amen? And so that is what it is talking about right here. Build, be built up on that. Be strengthened. Be fortified. Be invigorated with gospel truth. It's yours. So do something about it. Grow in it. Strengthen it. Uh, uh, sing of your Redeemer and his wonderful love for you, as Philip Bliss wrote in that hymn. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 1.23, that we're born again, not of... Had I, not, had I showed that yet? Had I, had I had that up there just now? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't advance that, and I should have. There's the Young's literal uh, translation. I really like it. Uh, you, beloved, on your most holy faith. And there's the, uh, the emphasis of, of it's something that you possess. So you possess it, so build on it uh, in the Holy Spirit as you are praying. Um, 1 Peter 1.23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So be strong in the word because it is yours is really what the emphasis is there. It's not for the preacher. It's not for your teacher. It is for you to actually, you yourself, build upon what you have, in fact, received and what you possess. So that begs the question then, okay, how am I to practice this? How am I to actually do that? And the, uh, the next couple of verses uh, uh, lay that out. First of all, 
verses 20 and 21, we're told to stay close to the Lord. Stay close to the Lord. It, it intimates the plurality, if you'll notice in verses 20 and 21, it intimates the plurality of the Godhead, that is, you're praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of Christ. And so you have the closing verses of the book of Jude, once again, helping you defend the faith because it lays out the triunity of God. Do you see that there in those verses? So stay close to this triune God. Have passionate devotion for him. You say, okay, preacher, uh, I know uh, that, that I'm to have that practice. I'm to be being built up uh, in the faith, and I'm to do it by staying close to the Lord. How do I actually do that? Well, the text gets into that. First of all, it says in verse 20, by praying in the Spirit, which simply means praying in accord with the Spirit of God. That is praying the will of God. How do you know the will of God? What's the Word of God say? And what, what the Word of God says that I am to pray that. And in doing that, I am praying consistent with the Holy Spirit because He's the author of truth. Amen? Since He's the author of it, He wants to hear me reciting back to Him what His truth is. And so, I don't have to wonder uh, if, uh, if I should love my wife, for instance. I don't have to wonder if I should forgive someone who has hurt me. I know that to be the will of God. And so therefore, when this takes place, I can pray. And I'm praying consistent with the Spirit because he's already revealed in his word what his will is. You all following this? And so I am growing in him. I'm building up this most holy faith by, in fact, Staying close to the Lord, and one of the ways it says to stay close to the Lord is by praying in the Spirit. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And then notice also, another way that I'm staying close to the Lord is I'm being obedient to the Father. Look at verse 21. First part of verse 21, what it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You say, well, what does that have to do with obedience? Well, how do you manifest um, being a, a, a loving God? What's the objective measurement? Well, it is heartfelt obedience, not rote obedience, not going through the motions, but if you love me, say it with me, what? Keep my commandments. Obey, in other words. And so Jesus said, the word of God teaches that obedience uh, is, is a way to manifest love and respect and honor and, and all that. Just like little children uh, who, who love and respect and honor daddy, do so with heartfelt obedience. Not just obedience in action, but obedience in, from the, uh, a heart attitude. That's how we know. And so keep yourselves in the love of God. How? By, of the Father. By, in fact, walking in obedience to him. And Jesus spoke about that in John 14, verse 15, verse 21, verses 23 and 24. If you love me, keep my commandments. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. He will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which has sent me. And so to abide in the love of the Father is really synonymous with saying, I'm going to, Lord, I love you so much. 
I'm going to do what you have said to do. And I'm going to do it with the right heart attitude. I don't have to do this. I get to do this because you love me and I'm your child and I want to honor you. Y'all getting this? And so we are staying near the heart of God by praying consistent with the Holy Spirit, by loving in obedience of the Father. In fact, furthermore, Jesus said that in John 15, 14, you're my friends if you do whatever I have commanded you. John 15, 14, there we go. And Luke eleven twenty eight says much the same thing. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And 1 John 5, 3, where it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. I get to, I am privileged to be able to know and follow and love the Lord. So I'm going to stay close to the Lord by praying consistent with his will, by Loving God through obedience. And thirdly, at the end of verse 21, by looking for the Son. You see, the Spirit, the Father, the Son listed in verses 20 and 21. Um, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Christ, uh, Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Uh, this, this is filled with the imminent appearing of Christ for his church. And the reason why is, folks, because of the particular word. Notice in verse 21, it says, looking for. Do you have another translation in verse 21? Looking for, everybody. Oh, you have, hold your hand if you have. You're looking for uh, the mercy. It's the word for uh, a, having a, a warm, expectant welcome. You know how when uh, you go to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving uh, feast for the family, right? And, uh, and she opens the door when you were, when you were uh, 8 and 10 and, and 12 and 14 years old, maybe when you're 34 and, uh, and 44 years old too. And, uh, and she swallows you up in that hug. Anybody identifying with this? Uh, that's the word here. Having a warm, expectant heart of welcome at the appearing of Christ. And so I am, uh, I am staying close to the Lord if that is my heart attitude, uh, to have that, uh, that warm, expectant look. To the degree that I do will be the degree that I am uh, abiding in him. I like what uh, Hebert wrote about this. He says, the Christian life is viewed as having an inward look relating to the development of character, an upward look relating to communion with God, and a forward look being consummated in final glorification. And so I, I am staying near the heart of God by praying consistent with the Spirit, obeying the Father, looking for Christ. I mean, that just about summarizes the whole Christian life. If that is who I am, then I am, in fact, being built up in the faith, which means that I'll be less susceptible to the heretic that will come up from within pushing false doctrine. How else are we to practically live out this life uh, of honoring the Lord? Well, we're to carry a burden for others. See, it's not, uh, this passion is not just staying close to the Lord. Yes, it is that. It is worship. It is devotion. But it is also caring about one another. Um, 
And, and this is not an easy text to really understand, verses 22 and first part of verse 23, uh, because there's a distinction. Notice in verse 22, and of some, and then uh, in verse 23, and others. And so there's a distinction being made. Is this talking about believers? Is this talking about unbelievers? Is this speaking of a combination uh, of them? Uh, difficult to really definitively say um, if it's talking about unbelievers who need to be redeemed, or is it talking about believers uh, who need to uh, not be captured by, uh, by the, the heretics who were in the church? Well, if it's referencing lost people, we're to evangelize with a deep sense of fear for them. Notice in verse 22, and some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear. Um, verse 22, I like the English Standard Version on that in verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. Anybody have that in verse 22? That, that's a good translation. Uh, King James is a little bit archaic in the terminology, but have mercy on those who doubt. Maybe it's talking about a believer uh, who's being, who's being uh, in, the, in, the, in the clenches of, uh, of uh, the grip of a heretic, and that person is wavering. Have mercy on that one. Maybe it's talking about a lost person who needs the gospel. Um, but either way you look at it, verse 22, have mercy, it's an imperative, it's a command. We are to be caring for others in the realm of theological orthodoxy. What does that demand? It demands that I know theology. It means that I must have an understanding of orthodoxy before I can ever give it out. Charles Swindoll correctly observed it is biblical to hate the sin, but love the sinner. You hate the stuff that has dragged them under, but you love the soul of the person who's being pulled into eternal destruction. As a result, you rescue whomever you can. And so we're to stay close to the Lord, but we're also to carry a burden for others. And then thirdly, we see in this this area of a passionate life in Christ. We see at the end of verse 23, a walk in holiness is commanded. Notice that, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Apostasy is worldliness permeating the church, false doctrine. And if I am staying near the heart of God, and I am in fact carrying a burden for others, I have to model that. I have to actually, not showing off, not, not pretense, not saying, look at me how spiritual I am, but the consistency of day in, day out. I, uh, I was counseling online with uh, a person uh, in another part of the country last night who, who reached out to me and basically described a situation, what do I do? And uh, I don't know how literate or illiterate this person is biblically, but uh, I, uh, I, sh I shared uh, at length uh, uh, some, uh, some biblical um, principles and all. And then at the end, uh, I said to this person who, that I've known for a long time, uh, I said, now, please know, uh, these are not just my ideas that I'm popping off. These are not just uh, good thoughts, uh, philosophical views of, uh, of mankind, good social mores. What I'm sharing with you are ironclad biblical principles 
right. I can take you to verse after verse, I text after text, in context that is teaching this. I want you to know that my source is authoritative. It's without error. It is powerful, and it will change lives. And I was so pleased, and I wasn't, I wasn't fishing there. I wanted this person to know that this is not just me popping off here. I was so thankful the person wrote back and said, I know that that's the case. That's why I came to you. Now that, you say, that's, that sounds like bragging. No, it doesn't. I mean, it might sound like, I don't want it to, I don't want it to sound like that. I wanted, to, I wanted to say this, that I want to have a testimony that others can approach me with a theological question, with a life issue, and know that what I'm going to share is thus saith the Lord. Now, you want to have that testimony as well, don't you? Amen? That's what it is, is saying here. Have, have, walk in that type of a life that your life is credible. It's believable to anyone who would uh, ever, ever wonder. It has that kind of credibility. He's genuine. He knows the word. She cares about others. She'll give me God's mind on this. That is, is hating even uh, the garment that is spotted by the flesh using the illustration of bleeding somewhere from your arm and, and putting on a nice new cloak. And now it is blood-soaked and ruined. Y'all appreciate the, the illustration here? Don't even have anything in your life that would cause others to say, oh, there's a spot, there's a spot, there's a spot, um, because you want to do what you do for the glory of God. Okay, the passion of the believer as we're closing out the book of Jude. And finally, the praise that is very much a part uh, of this book as well as the whole flavor of Scripture. We see that in verses 24 and 25. Jude ends this brief book with a, as great a, great a benediction um, uh, and doxology as there is in all of Scripture, I guess. First of all, he says in verse 24, Praise God for what He has done for us. Or make it more personal, what He has done for you. Now notice in verse 24, Now unto Him that is able... Who's the only one who is able? Now unto him. Who's the him? Yeah, the Lord. Now unto the Lord. Who? And then he goes on to describe this Lord of what he has done. Who is able to keep you from falling. That is, he can, uh, uh, he can keep you, hold, grab you and hold you tight. I used to know a, a fellow believer been out, been out of contact um, for a long time. But this person would sign a letter in his grip. And then, and then the person, isn't that a good way? Isn't that a good uh, 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 way to conclude uh, a letter in his grip? And that's what 1 Peter 1, 5 says. We're kept by the power of God. So unto him, the praise is unto him who can keep you. Notice also, keep you what? From falling. I don't know what Arminians do with this. I don't know what folks who say you can lose your salvation do with this. If God can keep you, is the one who's keeping you from falling, then can you fall? No. No, you cannot lose. You cannot fall away from your salvation if He's the one who's keeping you. If He is holding you by His strength and by His power. You say, yeah, but you can turn your back on Him. You're saying, I can overcome God's strength? In my own life? No, no. He's keeping me. I'm not keeping me. He's keeping me. I'm so thankful.
for that. There's great assurance in this book. Now, now him who's able to hold you secure so that you'll never fall. And then, as it were, one day, present you faultless. That does not say you don't sin. It means that there's not a place to hang a charge because your debt has been paid in full. He's going to present you to himself faultless before the presence of his glory that is in heaven one day. When you close your eyes in death as a child of God, you're going to appear before him and you're going to appear before him without sin or suffering forever. Now notice at the end of verse 24, and this is a key, uh, and I shared this with uh with Kathy last night, yesterday afternoon, uh, I had just come across it in further exegesis, and I shared what, with, uh, with her uh, what it meant. And I was already having a glory fit before I shared it with her. And, uh, and, and then when I shared it with her, well, my glory, Kathy's glory fit is like mine on steroids. But, <laughs> but you put Vic and Kathy together having a glory fit and one on steroids, Oh, it's a mess. <laughs> you got to get out of the way. <laughs> so look at the end of verse 24. He's going to do this with exceeding joy. Who's exceeding joy? You think yours, don't you? It's not. It's his exceeding joy. The grammar, it, 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 and I am not a Greek scholar, but the best that I can exegete it, it is, the grammar of it is attached to unto him. And so it could say, with exceeding joy, God is doing these things for you. And what's the word joy there? Exceeding joy. It is wild delight. It's almost as if God is in heaven pacing, saying, I can't wait until my child gets here. I am going to just burst at the seams with delight. That is how the Lord is viewing you, his child, that he is holding. I'm not going to let him go. I'm holding on for dear life. And by the way, when God holds on, it doesn't take a whole lot of weight. It doesn't sap his strength, right? <laughs> and I'm doing so for all eternity, and I'm doing it with a wild delight. It's not just joy. It's certainly more than tolerance. It's more than joy and happiness. It is wild delight. He is viewing you that way. And he's the one who did it all. <laughs> oh my. It'll sink in. What he has done for us. Verse 25. Praise God for what he means to us. You see, he's the only wise God. He's our Savior, uh, uh, intimating the deity of Christ there, by the way. And to him be glory. That is all, the praising his attributes. Majesty, dominion, that is his strength and power, that is his authority, both now and forever. <clears throat> How do we view God? How should we? That he is altogether glorious, majestic, authoritative, and the ruler of all things throughout all time. Notice in verse 25, it's verse 24, now to the only, verse 24, now unto him, the only wise God. So it is 
he is that now. And then at the end of verse 25, both now and forever, throughout time, now and forever, he is glorious, majestic, authoritative. He is our Lord and he has wild delight over you. Does it get better than that? <laughs> My! Okay. What are we to take away? And I'm done from the book of Job. The objective. Uh, I've given you the overview. I've given you the outline. And now the objective. What are we to take from it? That we must be intentionally serious about orthodoxy, what we believe, as well as orthopraxy, how we behave. We've been left to shine a light in a dark place. Folks, this is a dark world, as you know. And we are the ones to shine the, the gospel light in a dark place. So Jude is asking, how are you going to be effective in that? In the face of all that's coming at you. Peter says heretics are coming. Jude says they're here. What am I to do about it? Four bullets. Stay in the word of God. That's what Jude teaches. That earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Stay in the worship of God. Prayer and praise. Who he is. What we are to him. What he should, how he should be viewed by us. Stay in the work of God. Caring for one another within the church. And then stay in the witness about God, telling, uh, pulling them out, as it were, of the fire, fearful of their eternal destiny. I highly commend to you the brief epistle of Jude, told Mark Save this morning. It is arguably the most concentrated Bible book through which I've ever preached. It is as if you, you've made a, a pot of stew and uh, you can put the wooden spoon down right in the middle of the stew and it will stand straight. It's that thick. It is that concentrated. It is that stuffed with stuff. In 25 verses, it's as if the theology all the theology God intends for us to have, he has given to us. I would even submit that one could spend practically a lifetime dissecting, digest, ingesting, digesting the truths of the book of Jude and maybe never uh, exhaust that study. May we carefully Study, believe, apply the word of God to our hearts and lives. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. What a thrill this has been in, uh, in preaching through. I even finishing up Second Peter, even had the thought, this is going to be much more of the same. In fact, it's the same theme, but it, what you, what, what you can wade in in Second Peter, you can drown in Jude. 
so thankful for the deep, concentrated, thick delight and nourishment that this has been truly a full banquet from this book. Lord, it's, it's not enough, though, to know and understand. And, and, and in fact, we are able to understand most of what is written in this book. Lord, may we apply it to intentionally be given to biblical orthodoxy, to understand biblical theology, and to live it out in a way that will shine as lights in a dark world. Be glorified as we do, and we'll give you thanks for all eternity. And Lord, that you are the one who keeps us from falling. You are the one who will present us without sin or stain before your glorious presence, and you'll do so with wild delight. Absolutely is wind in my sails. May I treasure this truth from your word all my days. Lord Jesus, in your glorious name, amen.